I don't know what happened to me. Like I said, it's been a slow journey. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, it hit me. It's like, holy cow, the immense love that God has for us. To be loved that much and not share it, it just, I can't do that anymore. This is Meet the Fam, a podcast series from The Way Church. Meet the Fam is a place for you to meet the community, the people who make the Way family. I'm Lucas Flatter, the host of Meet the Fam, and I'm here with my co-host Heidi Zell and producer John Boomhofer. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Hello, everyone. Today, we're interviewing Wendy Patoka, and we're very excited about this. I think... We're, we're going to get into a couple of interesting things, and probably a lot of you have seen Wendy around church for a while, maybe not so much this year, because you are in a transition period of moving away. But you might not know a lot about Wendy, even though you've seen her for a while. So we're going to delve into those things. I can't wait to find out about myself. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's gonna be we're exciting. all going to be learning then. <laughs> Before we started the podcast, we were kind of just talking to you for a few minutes and we got into the subject of just going to church just to do it and this idea that you're kind of going through the motions, but you've changed your perspective on that. And can you talk about that with us? Yeah. I mean, I was brought up in a house where you went to church every Sunday um, and that's what you did. And we were... um, ALC is what it was. It's still Lutheran, and that's what I grew up as, and it wasn't a very robust Sunday school program. So I went to church. Whatever I got out of that, I'm not sure, but I went to church. And then I went to Sunday school, and I remember Hangman. I don't really remember learning anything, and I remember singing some of my favorite songs. And I got a pen once from the church, and John 3.16 was on it, and I memorized that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And like that's what I got. That that's my memories from before I was 12 years old. And then um the church was changing, and I remember like that we got new pastors, and they were starting to say that Genesis may not be all true, and they were starting to doubt some things, and um we're going into fellowship with other faiths that didn't have the same beliefs, and then my mom and dad were like, mm-mm, and we were moving, so that's when I became Wisconsin's in it. And then that's where I met my husband when I was all of 12 years old. Of course, he wasn't my husband when I was 12 <laughs> years old. <laughs> so... That's a whole nother story, but that has nothing to do with faith. But um, yeah, so I think we just did that. And then I approached my life that way. I just went to church and I went to, um, you know, youth Bible camp and I went to whatever we went to. What, what is that called again? Um, we had youth group. And um, and so I have to qualify this. I don't know how much you cut out of this. You cut stuff out, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Okay. So I'm used to just going like this after 30 seconds. <laughs> what is that called that we go to all the time? So if it sounds kind of weird, just because Mark's here with me. I'm like, hey, what is that called? Um, so we go to youth group and all those types of things. And then so when we were 16, we got hooked up. He gave me his Spidel bracelet, right? Mm. And he goes, will you be my study? And he came, wow. his friend asked for him. It's a hilarious story. It's the lunchroom, ninth grade. And he um, is sitting there as red as red can be. And his friend is saying, Mark really likes you. Will you go out with him? And I go, 
do you want to go out with me? He goes, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> okay. And so he gives me his bracelet. And what are we in ninth grade? I don't know, 14, 14. or something. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not allowed to date until I'm 16. So my brother's like, oh, I'm telling on you. I'm telling on you. And so we didn't really date date until we were like 16. But then we got hot and heavy and all those types of things. And this is related to religion because I didn't take my religion that seriously. Like, uh, God loves me. I love God. I know he's there. Jesus is my savior. But the whole living for Christ type of thing, following his commands, I didn't really think about that too much. And so you just do what teenagers do. And then I ended up getting pregnant um, right out of high school. We graduated and soon after I was pregnant and then we got married and then the rest is history. I can't say that I really gave my faith a lot of thought and I've gone through a lot of stages in my faith. You know, like my dad was like this serious, like he always knew God was with him. And my dad um, grew up with an alcoholic father and his mom left him when he was four years old. And so my dad, what got him through everything and he told these stories my whole life and you think it would have made an impression on me, but it didn't. He's like, God was always there, and God is what brought him through all that kind of stuff. And then I was raised with that. And then Mark, my husband, you know Mark, he's always been the steady Eddie. You go to church, he doesn't doubt, he believes, he doesn't question. He's the opposite of me. I question everything. I wonder about everything. I read something in the Bible, I'm like, I don't know if I jive with that. And so I'm always questioning. I didn't believe in prayer. I used not to pray because why bother? Because God already knows what's going to happen. You know, when I went to college, I got totally confused. Like, how could the Bible be true? And I quit believing for a while. I don't want to say I quit believing. I started doubting heavily for a while. And the only reason I kept going to church is because my husband, Mark, is like, no, we're going to church. And I don't know, like, this is one of those things too. I was in class one day and this lady was in class with me and she came up to me one day and says, can you believe this garbage they're telling us? And for whatever reason, that is what brought me back to faith. Does that make sense? So I was like, why am I doubting my faith? And I'm always wondering how these people come into your life. Like, does God bring them into your life? Like this one girl, I don't know, but maybe this one lady came into my life and says, can you believe this garbage they're saying to us and teaching us? And I'm like, yeah, why am I taking all this in? You know how they do that stuff about talking about the Bible and how it can't be true and how could there be a God and all that kind of stuff. So anyhow, that's what brought me through that. But then we moved here to Virginia in 2002, and then I was teaching by this time, and uh, they asked me to teach at the local church school, and I said yes. And that's when my faith started becoming real. Because then I was in the Word every day for purposeful reasons, and I'm sharing it with the children, and I'm living my faith. And I think that was the biggest thing that I learned is, like, you you have to live your faith. That's kind of like a—that that last bit is kind of like a bomb drop on, like, my, on me at least. Because if you, you went through this whole time period where you were consistently going to church, you had reasons to, but it wasn't because of faith, really. And then all of a sudden you're in the word daily for a purpose is what you said. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how faith grows. Right. I mean, if your faith is flat or if it's struggling or if it's, you know, not growing at least, it's probably has to do with you not being in the word. That's yeah. That's what God said totally. about faith. I don't know. Totally. Because, you know, like we're all busy people and finding time mm-hmm. to be in the word on a daily basis 
That's hard, right? Very. And so, yeah. but when you teach it, you have to be in it because you have to prepare your lessons every day. Mm-hmm. And then everything is just like gone. And then I don't know how things work out the way they work because I never wanted to be the teacher, you know, like I never wanted to be a teacher. I was like, I started going to college and I was going to go into business. And then I took some interest surveys and I decided I wanted to go into physical therapy. But we were military at the time and moved every couple of years. And I'm like... To get into a physical therapy program, you have to be in a location for a time period. Finally, I'm like, fine, I'll just be a teacher. Everybody has a teaching program. Um, Because I just, after a while, wanted a degree, right? And then here I am, a a teacher, and it's my life. And I was saying this to you guys before when we were shooting the breeze. I'm like, do people, like when they see me, just think of me and kids? Like, oh, Wendy, kids. Because every church I go to, it's like, hey, Wendy, will you teach Sunday school? Hey, Wendy, will you do this with kids? Hey, Wendy, can you run our daycare program? Hey, Wendy. And like, it's been my whole life that way. No one ever asked me to do adult things. Does that make sense? Yeah. Things with adults. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, I do think of you as a person that is involved with kids stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Which is hilarious. And I'm like, how did I even get into teaching? And I'm always curious about how these things happen in your life. Like, how does God lead you? Or, you know, he does everything for your good, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, It's really interesting because that's not something you kind of said that that you would choose. Right. You you chose other things instead of teaching. I've always kind of had this thing in my head of, yeah, we have free will. We get to choose what we want. But God's going to get you where he wants you. He's going to get you around the people that he wants you to impact. And that's just the way it works sometimes. I Like there's no, you try to trace trace it out or look back and it's like, he got you where he wanted you. Yeah. Like I talk to these super Christians. I call them super Christians. It's like, you know, just like God is good and he's leading the way and, you know, you just follow his design. And, and I'm always like, I don't want to move. That's not what I want. I have this horrible story. I don't know if you're going to put it in the thing. But <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's hear it. So the, I had my children young, right? So the first one, I didn't care if it was a boy or a girl, right? So I have my boy. So my second one, three years later, two years, nine months later, I go, God, I want a girl. I expect a girl because I told God I wanted a girl. I should be having a girl. Well, <laughs> They go, congratulations, you have a son. I'm like, that is not what I asked for. <laughs> my first my first <laughs> feeling for my child was disappointment. That's not what I asked for. Like, I'm like... <laughs> Does your second son know this? Yes. Okay, good. Not yeah. when he was young, but well, now sure, he's but in now. his 30s. So yeah, yeah. he knows. But, but you think about those things and like he is my son. And as soon as I saw him, I didn't care if he was a boy or a girl. Of course. And you know, when he was eight years old, he decided to be a pastor. And it had nothing to do with me because gosh knows I'm not a, a super Christian. And we weren't like doing daily devotionals and all those types of things. Like it's totally the Holy Spirit, right? And he never deviated from wanting to be a pastor. And then, you know, I have my dad who I grew up with and he he's never deviated. He's the strongest man of faith like I know. And then there's my son. And then I'm always wondering, how does God work in any of our lives, right? Like it's really interesting to see somebody else's life but how does he work in your life? Well, I think that just speaks to the uniqueness of everybody. You know, we're all we're, we're all different. We all have different gifts. We all have different perspectives too. I'm curious, what is it like? Because for so many pastors, families, or families with a pastor, usually there's like multiple generations. That's kind of how it's worked. Yeah. What is it like having a pastor as a son and like not knowing that world beforehand? 
I did everything wrong. <laughs> because <laughs> that's a good start, isn't it? He, because well, he, I knew he wanted to be a pastor, and he's supposed to go to um, the prep school when he gets to be in what eighth grade, seventh grade, ninth, somewhere ninth in there, grade, ninth grade. Like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, he's my kid. I'm not giving him up. And I didn't. I'm like, no, he's my kid. I wanted to raise him, and I did not want to give him up. And I'm like, uh, I know that it would have prepared him more. But I kept him. But I do think that it helped him in the long run because he had a different perspective going into mm-hmm. college, going mm-hmm. into seminary, because I don't want to say anything like, I know Luther Prep is a real school. And there's the same things that happen in that school that happen at regular schools. But mm-hmm. I think it just gave him a different perspective, especially out here because we were in Virginia and say, it's very you, multicultural. You and mm-hmm. he just had so many experiences he would not have had. In fact, when he went to MLC, he was totally lost because he's used to the military community and he's used to like everybody accepting him. Right. And then all of a sudden he gets there and it's kind of clicky. I don't know mm-hmm. if some of you went to MLC. Yeah, it's kind of yep. it's kind of clicky, and he didn't know what to do. And then next thing I know, he's calling me and he's like, "Hey, mom, I'm getting married." And I'm like, "You're doing what? Don't do anything. Parents' weekend is coming up. We'll be right there." <laughs> <laughs> what age was this? He was sophomore. Wow. He was pretty young. Was, yeah. And I was like, "Who is this girl? I don't know who she is." <laughs> and so. You know, the mama bear came out in me, and I'm like, just wait, just wait. So anyhow, we we met her, and I don't know how to say this. She was a lovely girl. It's just I didn't feel she was right for my son, and just things that you would see, right? Mm -hmm. And I tend to be the one who talks the most in our relationship between my husband and myself. He's the quiet one, so I'm the bad person, and I go, please wait till the end of the school year to get married. And luckily, you have this relationship with your kids, right? And he says, okay. That girl detested me. It ended up the whole relationship fizzled out, and they really weren't meant for each other. And then they ended up not getting together. But again, like, who do you go to when you have no one else to go to? You go to God. It's so sad that we wait and we go to Him in these times. Like, it's good that He's there, but why don't I go to Him more often, right? Because I'm like, oh, does He really care that my knee is bummed up? Of course He cares, but I'm not going to pray about that or whatever it is, right? But boy, I never prayed so hard in my whole life (laughs) or was in the Bible so much. I was like constantly in the Bible and reading the Bible and, you know, just praying like, oh, please let this turn out okay. Because in my heart of hearts, I'm like, this would not work out. Um, That's good parenting. Yeah. And that was, you know, also a good move on your part to just, you know, take it to prayer because you really couldn't have controlled the situation. But because you asked him to wait for the rest of the school year, that's, you know, yeah. that's all they needed. And that's hard for someone who likes to be in control of situations. Like there's a reason I teach, you know, like I teach because I can't, I don't work well under people because I have to be in control. You all know that I'm starting a school in Tennessee. And so I've left my Virginia classroom. I left it in March, basically. And so it's been March, April, and now it's May. And I go back in, you know, like a few days here, a few days there. Now I'm back for a week and I go in and I'm like, I'm not in control. I just have to be quiet. I don't even know what's going on with the kids. I can't even be in control. And I'm like, I just want my classroom back. You know, that's how I feel. Like, I I think that's maybe the hardest part 
about being a Christian, or maybe for me it is, because I like to be in control, and I like to have the answers, and I like to figure it out myself, and I'm a pretty self-motivated kind of person. And I'll do a million things by myself, and I have a hard time relying on other people, except for my husband. Trust me, I rely on him a lot. But anybody else, I'm like, I can do it. It's okay. It's all good. And I'll take on a whole big, gigantic project. You know, I'll take on science camp and just make it happen or something. And I like doing it. But then I approach my faith the same way. Like, I don't go as often as I should. You carry all the, it's a song, right? The burdens that we bear. Yeah. When you're, you kind of live off of doing and just seeing things be accomplished. And then you think kind of what you said, you don't pray because, oh, I, it's fine. I'll deal with it. Or God does, it doesn't like he doesn't maybe too small or something. And then that kind of just like feeds into that, that perpetuating, like I can do it. I'll figure it out. Yeah. It's just such a, it's like a snowball effect of that. Knowing that about yourself you know, being in God's word, you said has been really kind of the, the thing, but how else have you like kind of combated that since you know, that's your natural tendency. I would like to say I had some really great super Christian answer. Like I <laughs> see like some of the new people coming into our church and I hear them talk and I'm like, man, I wish I was them. I wish I was more like whoever, cause they know their Bible class. I don't know Bible verses. This is me. You know, our son, like our son, when he took his confirmation class, again, we moved around a bit. And so he always had different pastors, different stuff. So when he took his examination and I'm the same way, hey, what is, you know, Luke 8, 6 or whatever? He goes, oh, I think it goes something like, and that's how my whole life is. That's kind of how my, I don't want to say my faith is, but it's like I have this passage in Isaiah that I like, right? And I don't even know what it is. I just know it's something about I am clay and he is the potter. Here's where I go. Hey, Mark, can you look that up on the phone for me? (laughs) And I try to live my life like I am clay and he is the potter. And how can I let him mold me? And that is what makes the most sense to me. I'm still not really great at praying. I just am not. And I want to be. And I try. Like, I'll go to bed at night and go, I'm going to pray. Oh, I don't want to just pray about myself. So I'll start praying about other people, and then I'll fall asleep. So I never get around about praying about me. But No, that was a beautiful answer. I think that we all have passages that resonate with us because we're all different. And so you have a different passage that really, like, centers you kind of. I have ones for me, and I'm sure everybody might might have some. And I think that's a beautiful, that's a really good passage to, like, remember. <laughs> if I knew what it was, it's Isaiah. Th- that's basically, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the gist of it. So I but I know the gist of things, I yeah. think, my whole life. And, and the thing is, too, I, I, I'm enjoying, you know, I'm in transition. So I've never been able to go to a Bible class because I've always been teaching Sunday school or I've always been in charge of something. And so I've never been able to do those formal Bible classes. The adult stuff. The adult stuff. <laughs> like I said, no one ever asked me to do adult <laughs> stuff. Um, and so now I'm having an opportunity to sit in adult Bible classes and do those types of things. And I, I, I find it very rewarding. And so, you know, at the church where I'm at now, I go, I'll do anything, but I don't want to teach Sunday school. I just want to take a break for a little while. And I don't think I've ever spoken up for myself. Like people say, hey, Wendy, can you teach Sunday school? Or, hey, Wendy, can you do this? I'm like, sure, sure, I can do it. And I do. I love working with kids and I love doing all that stuff. But I just want to like reinvent myself in a way. Does that make sense? Let me ask you a, a question. 
my new role is the ministry director. So like we're kind of building ministry teams and we're trying to have people volunteer and do all these things that you do so willingly. And like you said, maybe you don't speak up for yourself. And somebody like you who's a doer, sometimes not necessarily that they're like taken advantage of. We just, you just like kind of know that, oh, if you ask Wendy, she'll do it type of thing. And do it well. And do a really good job at it. How can we... I don't know if it's necessarily like guarding you from your own willingness to do it or like how can we just help give people like you that time to do the adult stuff or do the things that they don't necessarily get to do all the time because they're always doing the thing that they're doing. I I think I've learned a lot from being at the way because, well, there weren't very many of us in the beginning. So then I took on the children's program and then I I wasn't always in church because I was with the kids. And then you know, I just took on a lot and there wasn't really a lot of other people to do a lot of stuff. So I just started doing it. And like, I took on the science camp and I just did it all. And I think everybody's kind of learned from that. And I've learned about myself too. Like we just know, spread the jobs out. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like you can say, oh, Wendy would do that. Wendy can do that. Wendy can do that. Or whoever it is. Mm -hmm. But you're like, no, who can we find? Or who's somebody new we can ask? Mm -hmm. And just be aware, like, are we spreading the jobs out? Yeah, that's a good point. I want to talk more about your transition and starting the new school. And you kind of mentioned that uh, maybe several times people think of me as somebody that's involved with children. But when I hear, like, you're starting a new school in a new state, I hear, like, oh, this person's, like, an entrepreneur. And, like, that's really cool and it's inspirational. So could you speak on that a little bit? Starting the new school is exciting. It's also hard in a lot of ways. There's the part of me that says, wants to be the clay, and I want to be molded by the master potter. And then there's the personal side of me. I have a really good gig going here in Virginia. I love what I do in Virginia. I love my classroom. I teach adults. I consult. I do so many awesome things that I'm giving up to go teach in Tennessee. And people are like, that's such an amazing opportunity. And it is. It's not like I'm not excited about it, but I was really gearing my way towards getting out of the classroom and starting to take more classes to teach adults and start working more with adults. And so that's where I personally wanted to go. I don't know how to say this because, you know, I grew up as a Lutheran and as a Lutheran, we just never talk about the Holy Spirit and we never talk about being led with feelings and all those things, you know, and Matt will say, you know, God will use you wherever you are, right? So God doesn't care what you do as long as you're doing something to serve him. But a few years ago, I just had this intense feeling that I needed to serve God in a different way, to be very purposeful about it. And I know this sounds really morbid, but I'm not young anymore per se, right? So I'm 56. How many good years do I have left? It's not like I have 50 good years left in me, right? Where I can really do a lot of stuff. And I say, I, I felt led. I really did feel led to make these final years of my life very purposeful because I have a tremendous, and I'll cry. This is so (laughs) embarrassing. I do this every time. I, I just, I'm like, you know, I spent most of my life, like Easter was Easter. Yep, Jesus died on the cross. He loves me, right? Up, oh, he was born. Isn't that wonderful? God had a plan of salvation. And I didn't really have any emotion about it. And then I don't know what happened to me. Like I said, it's been a slow journey. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, it hit me. It's like, holy cow. 
cow, the immense love that God has for us, and that Jesus technically didn't have to die on that cross. He did it out of love for us. And this is why I get emotional and I cry, because to be loved that much and not share it, it just— I can't do that anymore because I work in a secular school and I can say, oh, this is what Miss Wendy believes and this is what Miss Wendy does on Sundays, but that doesn't do anything for anybody, right? But being able to share every single day with kids that love and share every single day with those parents that love is the reason I'm doing the school. Because trust me, dealing with the state is such a pain. Everybody I've talked to knows that if it wasn't for that very reason, I would not be doing this school. I would have given up. I would have said, mm I'm not that much of an entrepreneur. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love Montessori, um, but I was looking to get out of the classroom and start working with adults. That's where I really wanted to go. But like I said a couple of years ago, I don't know whatever spoke to me I don't know how to say it because, like I said, I grew up Lutheran my whole life. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit and we don't talk about like those types of things. And like, well, you don't know for sure because my son, the pastor, right? Mm -hmm. You say, what's it like having a son for a pastor? Sometimes it's a real pain in the bottom <laughs> because he'll go, well, mom, you don't know for sure that it's the Holy Spirit talking to you. And I'm like, I don't know for sure, but I do know the feelings that I had and I know that's why I'm doing it. So. Well, I think you can know for sure when it's, you know, yeah, when you're feeling God's, God's, God's love. Yeah, like you want to share <laughs> God's people. love for you with other people because you feel it so deeply. That I think that's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And again, like starting the school right now, it's like, you know, I haven't talked to anybody about God because it's been about getting enrollment and finances and all those types of things. So I am looking forward to getting into the classroom and doing more of that because right now it just seems like the business part of it. Yeah. I'm sure even church can be that way, right? So yeah, like yeah, there's this business part of it. Business, the admin, word is admin the, stuff. Yeah. 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 Podcasting. Podcasting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think, I think there's a beauty of aging. When you're young, you take a lot of things for granted. And I see some of the younger people and their devotion to God's word. And, you know, I wasn't there. And I think maybe I just appreciate and other people maybe get this younger, but there's something maybe about aging for me that I've just had the opportunity to see my life and see where I was and everything that I've gone through and all the hardships we've caused ourselves. Sometimes people will tell me that my life is boring in a nice way. No, but somebody did tell me she was going through a divorce and she goes, oh, Wendy, I just wish I had your life. It's so boring. My life isn't necessarily boring. My life is just not a mess. <laughs> and it's like, why is it not a mess? It's because Christ is first in our lives and nobody's marriage is perfect and nobody's life is perfect. But when you put Christ first in your life, it helps balance everything out. I thought it was kind of funny being told, your life is boring. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be a nice thing if your life actually was boring? But it, it's a peaceful. It, yeah. Maybe is a better word. Maybe there peaceful. Go, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, Which who wants to go is. through a divorce, right? And right. who yeah. wants to go through yeah. all that stuff? I mean, it sounds also like you have a unique amount of perspective where you can actually look back and like glean these different lessons like, does God put specific people in our lives? You might not even realize that unless you have that perspective and you look back and you tell that story. So do you believe you're somebody that has that ability to look back on things and kind of make sense of things like that? Or 
I don't know. I've been told that I'm good at reading people. And maybe it's because I've been teaching for so long. Like you have to analyze everything all the time, analyzing kids, analyzing their actions, trying to figure out what's driving what, search such and such behavior. And then you have to relay all this to parents, right? In a very nice way, right? Like you want to be very helpful. You don't want to come across as your kid is a real pain in the bottom. Like, <laughs> and again, I, I, I just feel like, was I introspective when I was younger? T- definitely not. I was very sure of myself when I was younger. I thought I knew everything. And I, I love to be in control. And I was always me, me, I want this, telling God I want a, a, a daughter, expecting he's going to give me a daughter because I asked for it. That's who I was at that time. And I always said it's a good thing we moved in the military often enough because I'm like I'm kind of embarrassed by some of my my earlier years. I'm like, God, I can just walk away from that and remake myself. You know, nobody knows that me. It's like, oh, my gosh, I'm sure the older people are going, holy cow, what's with this chick? But um I think with age, I've become, I can look back. And like I said, I always wanted to be in control. And he was in the military. I'm deploying for a year. What? You know, (laughs) you're moving and you just got a job you really love. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to move right now. I like, I fought against everything. I never took anything as, you know, here's an opportunity for me to grow or here's an opportunity for God to work in my life. And I don't know where he's leading me, but I'm going to, you know, follow. I was never an Abraham. God said to me like, hey, Noah, build the ark. I'd be like, what? Are you crazy? You want me to, you know, I could just see myself going up. Maybe that's why he waited until some of these men were like really old before he asked (laughs) them to do things. Because by then you have the perspective to go, okay, God, whatever you say, I'll follow your way. (laughs) listening to you talk in like the military perspective and always having to move and you said as somebody who likes control it sounds to me like god is kind of removing that control from you at a lot of turns and it's really (laughs) interesting the way that our natural bent towards things god kind of curbs it you know in ways that are helpful for us and for our lives as christians it's kind of like takes away those things from you that you would hold on to so tightly because I, I see that in my life, and it's just interesting hearing from you about that. Yeah. Too. Well, he's had to work really hard with me, so <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm like, I'm, I'm a control freak, and I like things to be my way. Like, that sounds really self-centered. I don't think of myself as a self-centered person, but I do like things to be my way. I think you're very self-aware, though. <laughs> I think a lot of people probably don't realize how much they are a control freak or yeah. want things to be their way. And I think who you marry, your spouse— says maybe a lot about you too, because we all have love languages, right? And my husband loves to serve. He serves everybody. Like we're moving and people don't go, Wendy, we're going to so miss you. This is at my school because we live right next to the school. Well, Mark has nothing to do per se because he's not at his own house and we're renting and everything. So he comes over to school and he gets the dishes and he does the dishes. He puts them in the dishwasher for all the other teachers and he brings them back to their classrooms and everybody gets their own dishes in their own classrooms. And whenever anything's broken, hey, Mark, do you think you could? He's like, oh, sure. (laughs) So they're all like, we're going to miss Mark. And I'm like, what about me? <laughs> My own parents are that way too, right? It's always like, oh, you're lucky you have Mark. Boy, you are really lucky you have Mark. And I'm like, why don't I ever hear he's lucky to have me? So his gift is service, right? And so 
Um, and I love to be served. I know that <laughs> sounds really like this not good. Best. I'm putting myself like digging a grave and putting myself in it. <laughs> I'm so in the hole. And it's sometimes really hard when you are like the personality that like stings your way and you like to be in control and you're married to somebody whose gift is service. It makes it very easy for you to be that person. And I think after 37 years of marriage, I am trying to really be thankful for his gift of service and not take advantage of it and not feel like I have to be in control. But there is this part of me, it's like, hey, can you just do this for me? Hey, but yeah. Well, I think as far as the way goes, we will miss you as well as missing Mark. And also you tirelessly serve the way. So even if you're enjoying being served, you also serve. It's true. I do enjoy serving and I do enjoy being creative and creating science camps and all that stuff. I love all that stuff. So it's fun. So you mentioned you got pregnant young out of wedlock, right? Yep. Being in both of you guys from conservative Christian backgrounds, what was that journey like and what kept you, I guess, in church? You you know, you said Mark was the steady force there, but that's got to not be an easy thing to go through. Maybe feeling judgment. Do you want to speak on that at all? Well, I was 18 and Mark was 18. He's younger than I am by a whole hundred days. So sometimes I got to go. <laughs> Triple digits though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I did not want to tell my father. Did not want to tell my father. Um, and I didn't tell anybody. I wasn't ashamed of it. I just didn't want it to be happening. And I remember praying and praying. I did pray then. Say, please do not let me be pregnant. Please do not let me be pregnant. And it turned out I was. And my mom had to tell my dad because I knew my dad for as good as a Christian man he is. He also has a temper. And I was afraid of like, what is he going to say? And I I will say my parents gave me nothing but love. And I think that was the difference because even though there's expectations and they told me they were disappointed, they still loved me. And Mark's parents were the same way. They were just like really supportive. And then my mom and dad were like really awesome. And I thought about giving the baby up for adoption for a while because it wasn't like we were necessarily thinking about getting married. And then I just couldn't give the baby up for adoption and abortion was never on the table. My dad said, if I was going to adopt the baby, then he would take the baby and he would raise the baby. Well, then I'm like, well, then I might as well keep the baby, right? (laughs) So, um, and then, I don't know, we just decided to get married. And it's like one of those things we got married within two weeks, he joined the service. There was no jobs at the time and he joined the military and I did not want him to join the military. I was not happy he joined the military. But my mom was like, you know, if you decide to marry him, you need to support your man again. You know, the Christian values, Mm -hmm. you know, coming back. And I respect it. My parents and my parents are still married. They have this awesome marriage. And so I'm like, all right, I'll respect his decisions. And again, I cried a lot and dug a lot of tears. And But in the end, it all worked out. So was it easy? No. Would I change anything? No. Because I have this awesome son that I would not have had otherwise. And so it's all good. Mm-hmm. Like God works everything out for good, right? So we mess things up and make life really hard for ourselves sometimes. I can't say there was a lot of judgment. I remember because he was in the military, he was gone. So I had to do everything by myself. I remember people looking at me as I got bigger, mm-hmm. you know, and like, <sighs> it's a small town, you know, 6,000 people. Wendy's pregnant and there's no guy around. And then I had to go to the doctor's appointments by myself. And then they were giving me literature because I'm so young on being a pregnant, unwed mother. And so I had to deal with a lot of that stuff by myself. And I did, you know, 
different classes, you know, about having the baby. I did everything by myself. So that was really hard because there's couples everywhere. And I was by myself because he was in basic training. And then he did come back a couple months before the baby was born. And then we did do things together. But I did a lot by myself. And maybe that is what has formed me to be who I am, too. Like, I'm a pretty strong person as far as, you know, dealing with stress and dealing with adversity in my life. I never went home to mom and said, hey, I can't do this. I'm always like, all right, what do I need to do? Just one foot in front of the other. And my life, I guess, wasn't easy, but I I never complained about it, I don't think. I'm looking at my husband right now. I don't think I complained about it. Um, I complained about having to move and different things like that, but not about my life in general. You know, like I just accept what happens in it and it is what it is. How long after you had your first son did you go to college? I was going to be a stay-at-home mom because I was raised that way. I was Mm -hmm. raised that women should be in the house. Women don't go to college. My parents wouldn't help me go to college. I was raised to stay at home, take care of your man, take care of your kids. So I did. I stayed at home when he was first born, and then I took in— kids, you know, because we were poor. We didn't have any money. Like, I remember it's like, oh, we had no money. We were enlisted. And so I would do things. I took in other people's kids and babysat them. And I sewed stripes and patches on, you know, servicemen's uniforms. I did all kinds of little things to make money. And then I was like, I am not meant to stay at home. Now I think I was depressed. So we did that. I had him, the first son. And then about three years later, I had my second son. And then I was like, it was depression now. I'm pretty sure it would have been diagnosed as depression. I just knew I hated staying at home. Like, I did not like it. I know hate's a very strong word, but that's how much I did not like staying. So then I started going back to school, like a class here, a class Mm -hmm. there. So it wasn't until I was 30 that I went back full time. Oh, well, okay. That takes a lot of courage. So I did. I went out and I was working. So Mm -hmm. like I said, I didn't want to be a teacher. So I started in business. I was an administrative assistant. I did all kinds of different things like that. It's extraordinary that like we started this conversation talking about your son, this crucial conversation when he was like 18, 19. And then we come back to when you were talking to your parents and just like full circle, like the the love of your parents and how that can kind of influence everything. And I think that's beautiful. (laughs) It is so crucial to have that relationship with your children. Like I can honestly say that, like I have it with my parents. I mean, I always thought my dad hated me because again, another strong word, but he was so tough on me so tough on me. Again, he came from a broken family and he just saw a whole bunch of stuff coming from that. And he didn't want that for me. And so I rebelled. And so I did things I should not have done. Right. And then I I know raising our kids, I worked really hard at having a good relationship with them. And even though this is interesting that I've told you my whole faith journey, our first son is very introverted. And so moving so often was really hard on him. And um, I would have to spend a lot of time with him, talking him through things. And the one thing I always did with him, though, is we would always pray. And I would always go, there's one person who can take care of all this for you, and it's God, which is so funny. I did that with my kids, but I didn't do it with myself, right? We've been blessed with both of our children because they both have stayed in the faith. You know, our grandkids are being raised in the faith. And so the things that are most important to us in our life, like our kids know God and they follow His ways. I mean, we've been blessed in that with both of them. But again, it comes to having this relationship with them too. So now that they're adults, I still tell them, you know, you should just listen to me. I'm always right. (laughs) But (laughs) 
And I taught my daughter-in-law to uh, still say, I'll take it under consideration. <laughs> so whenever I'm saying stuff to them and they're like, I'll take it under consideration. <laughs> One thing I, you've said multiple times, we make things hard for ourselves. That's such a wise perspective because when you're young, it's easy to be, I guess, blame other people or blame the situation. But as Christians, like we're sinful. It's like our fault. We get in our way so often and we just cause so much pain and struggle for ourselves. Talking to you and listening to that, it's clear to me, like you helped me kind of see that. Yeah, it is really true. Like when you think about it, right? I don't know everybody's stories, but I think we all have them. Mm -hmm. If we had gone to God or if we had just been more patient, right? Thankfully in the Bible, like nobody's perfect in the Bible. You think of Noah and he seems like this paragon. Hey, build this ark. There's no water around. And it took years (laughs) to build an ark. Okay, now gather these animals. And then God sent them and everything. And he seems like this paragon, right? Because he's doing everything God says. And then he puts that one verse in the Bible about how Noah got drunk, right? Uh And like, why did God put that in there? I always wondered, why did he put that in there? He didn't have to put that in there. Like, why is it in there? But maybe it's to show that nobody's perfect and we've all done things that we wish we had not have done. I think that's my favorite misconception that I've grown to love about the Bible is that there's this thinking that you strive to be a Bible character like David or or Moses. But if you look at them, they all committed some pretty serious sins that God brought them back from, whether it was Moses, who was a murderer, David, adulterer, murderer, Solomon, all these people besides Jesus had like pretty visible what we'd consider bad sins, and yet they're part of the story and they're part of the coming of Jesus. There's something beautiful about that because it it just shows us our humanity. And it points us back to God, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. And there's nothing in us that can save ourselves. And there's nothing in us that's good. You don't have to put this in the podcast. I know you're going to do this. But, you know, our son decided to leave the wells and they converted to Catholicism. And they had this book that they shared with us that led them down that road. And I just remember feeling so sorry for the people in this book because they are pastors, they're ministers, there's people of the church, and they have so many questions and they don't have the answers for them. And then Catholicism kind of had the answers because there's so much tradition in it and there's so much, you know, like purgatory is kind of a good thing when you think about it, because if you don't get it right, at least you have purgatory to get it better. So there's all these man-made rules and things that aren't in the Bible necessarily, but it answers questions. And I get what draws people to Catholicism, but I remember feeling so sorry for those people. And then that has what has led me to really think about my faith too, is my son and his wife deciding to go to Catholicism has really made me think, well, why do I believe what I believe? Because I've just believed it. I'm Lutheran. What does that mean? I don't know. Jesus is my Savior. He died for me. I live most of my life that way. But what do I believe? Why do I believe what I believe? And I realized that by grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone, means so much to me. You know, that's what drives me to tears, to be loved that much, to just serve Him out of love, to let Him mold you. I love to just let him shine through you.
I think we just uh, that was yeah. great. That was great. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Wendy. Thank you, Heidi and John. I think this was an excellent conversation, and we got to know you better. And I think the perspective that we gained, I appreciate it a lot. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today. To get more content designed to connect you to Christ and to community, please subscribe or follow The Way Church wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or you can head to our website, thewaychurchva.com, for more information.